0: Well, hey, I'm excited this morning. I'm excited. I, uh, I actually, um, this week's been a, a little rough week. Have you guys had rough weeks? Anybody? Yeah. But I, as I was preparing for the message and uh, in prayer this morning, my office, so we, Sunday mornings are like all sorts of covered in prayer. If you don't realize it, I normally and I, this morning I, I, I slept in a little bit. I didn't get here till about seven forty-five. I normally get here about seven, but I'm in my office praying. And then we come out here at eight thirty, and we do a pre-pre a, a service prayer with the worship team and the, the tech team. And then we've got pre-service prayer at nine fifteen that goes till nine forty-five. Sunday mornings are covered in prayer on Sunday. Then we've got our intercessory prayer team that's praying uh, during service. That Prayer is, is such a huge part of this. And as I was praying this morning and, and God brought just a, another verse to mind uh, for the message this morning, I, was just, I, I just felt an incredible lightness. I just, I, I just felt a lift. And I pray this morning as we talk uh, about what God is doing in the word of God in Nehemiah, what he's doing here in the story of Nehemiah, that you will feel that same lift. This morning, because our burdens and our troubles and our struggles they weigh us down, don't they? To the point where we just feel like we're trudging through molasses in January and it's snowing. You just feel like you're dragging and you can't get any traction, you can't get anywhere. And when you just get overwhelmed and you feel like I, it just would be easier just to stand here and not do anything. God brings a message for us. Many of us go through that point in life. We just get hit over and over and over again, and we go, what's going on? So this morning, the question that we're answering is, what do you do when the hits keep coming? What do you do when the hits keep coming? Part of the reason I felt such a lightness this morning is because I just feel like God is hes preparing us for a great work. He's preparing us for a great thing. You know, we've, we've talked about Nehemiah. We've talked about the vision that God gave Nehemiah. Do you know what a vision really is? A vision that comes from God is an unseen reality. Because if the vision comes from God, it's going to happen. An unseen reality when the vision comes from God. But here's really what the vision is. The vision is the future as God sees it. The future as God sees it. So when we talk about the vision for Calvary Lighthouse, the question is, what are we going to look like as a church in God's eyes in the future? That's the question that we're asking this morning. That's the question. I'm just, I'm excited. I'm excited. So I hope you are prepared this morning to be encouraged. I hope this morning that you are uh, prepared to be spoken to by the Lord. I want to share with you a story because oftentimes we feel overwhelmed. I don't normally bring my phone with me up on stage uh, because John thinks it messes with my wireless mic. And so it's on airplane mode right now. Okay, make you happy. All right. So here's here's a story because we get these moments and times where we feel overwhelmed, don't we? So I have a story with you about Bob Finnegan. In in 1976, a 22 year old Irishman, Bob Finnegan, was crossing the busy fall roads, uh, in, the busy fall roads in Belfast when he was struck by a taxi and flung over its roof. That sounds like a bad day, to me. The taxi drove away. And as Finnegan lay there, stunned, on the road, another car came by and ran into him, rolling him into the gutter. It also drove on. That's a bad day. Get hit by a car, and then while you're laying there, you get hit by another car. That, I, I, I might not, we might not always define things the same way, but getting hit by cars twice, that's a bad day. Well... It drove on as well as a knot of gawkers gathered to examine the magnetic Irishman that seemed to draw cars to him. A delivery van plowed into the crowd, leaving in its wake three injured bystanders, and it also ran over Finnegan. When a fourth vehicle came along, the crowd wisely scattered. Unfortunately for Finnegan, he at this point has been hit by three cars and is unable to move. Once more, he was hit by a fourth vehicle. In the space of two minutes, Bob Finnegan suffered a fractured skull, broken pelvis, broken leg, and other assorted injuries. However hospital officials said he would recover. That's a bad day. That's a bad day. How many of you, as, you, as, as you're hearing about Bob Finnegan, you're thinking, that kind of describes my week. It wasn't a car, but sometimes you, you wake up in the morning, you go, what hit me yesterday? We just get overwhelmed. And it just keeps on coming and coming, and coming. We, we talked about this Wednesday night. We watched a, a wonderful sermon this past uh, Wednesday uh, as part of a staff meeting called uh, God is Faithful. And the first point of the message, uh, which is not the first point of my message, but the first point of the message we watched on Wednesday was, oftentimes when you're in trouble, more trouble comes along. And you go, well, that's not very encouraging. It's really not. And in Nehemiah chapter 6, where we pick up today, we find Nehemiah once again attacked. This is the third time in six chapters that the Bible talks about Nehemiah having opposition to the work that God was doing. This is the third time in six chapters. that You understand, it took them 52 days to build the wall. And this is the third time Time in 52 days that uh, Sambalat and his crew have tried to derail what God is doing three times. 52 days. Wouldn't you imagine? Could you imagine Nehemiah? Won't you guys just leave me alone? Just leave me alone. But it's like Pastor Joe was praying today. We're not. We're not battling against physical forces, are we? We're not battling against people. What are we fighting against? Principalities. Spiritual forces. You know, the enemy tries to do everything he can to attack. And that's, that's really what we're talking about. How does the enemy attack us? How does the because that's oftentimes where the hits come from. The hits are coming from, sometimes we do stuff on our own that's just not Smart. But the devil can use that, can he? He can use that to get us off track. He can use that to change what we're doing. He can use that to stop us from focusing on what's in front of us. So the question we're asking today: How does the enemy attack? Well, if we look at uh, Nehemiah chapter six, verse two, uh, here's here's what it says: "Assemble, lot and Geshem sent me this message. Come." Let us meet together in one of the villages on the plains of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me. So I sent messengers to them with this work. I sent message to them saying, I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message, and each time... I gave them the same answer. You know the first the first, first thing that the enemy does is that he tries to distract you. He tries to get you off course. He tries to throw something in front of you that might seem important but really isn't. Might seem like something you need to pay attention to, but it really isn't. You know one of the hardest things about being a pastor of a church of any size of any size and, and it's true in business, whether you're self-employed or whether you work for somebody. One of the biggest challenges in moving forward is the tyranny of the urgent. Something that has to be done right now. I have to do but you're going this way, and somebody's like, I need you to stop and come over here and help me. Now, do people have actual emergencies? Absolutely. Absolutely, but is it easy for something that seems like a major problem to somebody else to distract you from the direction that you were going? Maybe you're working on a project in your business and somebody just, they just continually need help. They're just not catching it. They're not picking it up. And what do they do? They stop you. It's the same thing that happens within any organization. It's the same thing that happens within our lives. We feel like God has called us in a direction. God is calling us to go and pursue his purpose. But this person here needs me to stop. This person here needs me to stop. Now, trust me, there are times that God wants us to stop what we're doing to help others. The story of the Good Samaritan clearly defines that. But understand so there are times that people come into our paths to just try and distract us Amen. and stop us. Think of the reason, the reason a dog never catches a car is because as soon as another one comes by, what's it start doing? It chases that one, and then it chases that one, and then it chases that one. The devil will do everything he can to distract you from the work that God is doing in your life. It might seem important at the time. But here's what Nehemiah did. Nehemiah said, why should I stop the work that God has called me to do? Because I know these guys are opposed to what God wants me to do. So I'm not going to come talk to you because you're just trying to stop me from getting the work done. There are people that will discourage you and distract you from trying to pursue what God wants you to do in life. You have to understand who is actually celebrating what God is doing in you and who is actually trying to stall what God is doing in you. Because if they can distract you, guess what? The work stops. You quit moving forward. And there's so many distractions in life, from television to entertainment options to You just come up with it. Work can become a distraction. Anything can become a distraction. We actually had this conversation as a staff this week that I had gotten, uh, I've I've gotten a little, the tyranny of the urgent had caught up with me on some stuff. What do we need to do? We have to keep our eyes fixed and focused on what God has called us to do. And that's what Nehemiah did. Nehemiah said said, why should I stop? Why should I leave and go down to you? It's picking up in verse 5, He says, Then the fifth time, Sambalot sent his aid to me with the same message, and in his his hand was an unsealed letter in which was written, It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says it's true, that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt. Now you remember in chapter 2, that's where Sambalot started, right? Sambalot started in chapter 2 saying, you guys are trying to set up your own kingdom. You're trying to break off from Ataxerxes, and that was what stopped the wall from being built last time. And so Sambalot renews that attack. He says that you and the Jews are plotting your bull, and therefore you are building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become their king. And have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king. So come, let us meet together. So now they're just flat out lying, aren't they? They're just flat out lying about Nehemiah. They're saying, Nehemiah, this is what, this is, and this, my, my, uh, my mom and dad always used to say about me and a cousin of mine um, that we would always tell the same lie uh, to back each other up. Um, she, my, my dad, the way my dad would say it, one of you would say the sky is gray and the other one would swear to it. You know, it didn't matter what color. That's, that's what's going on here. Sambalot is saying, this is what you're doing. And Geshem said it was true. Geshem said it was true. So they're, they're coming up with this concocted lie. And so here's what Nehemiah said. I sent him this reply. Nothing like what you are saying is happening. You are just making it up out of your head. They were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too uh, too weak uh, for the work and it will not be completed. But I prayed, now, Lord, strengthen my hands. What were they trying to do there? They're trying to discourage them. That's the second thing the enemy will do to us. First, the enemy will try and distract us. Second, he's going to try and discourage. Think about where, where Nehemiah had to be at this point. This is the third time that they have brought this attack. This is the second time they have brought this specific accusation. And you want to stop and go, I mean, Nehemiah, goes, you're just making this stuff up. Have you ever had somebody tell a lie about you? It wasn't even a misunderstanding. It wasn't, I mean, there's times that people misunderstand things, right? And they say, oh, I'm sorry, you must have just, you just didn't quite follow. But then there's other times people just flat out lie. Let me tell you about uh, an example of uh, somebody just flat out lying about a church. I was on staff at, I wasn't the senior pastor. This is the only church I've ever been the senior pastor at, so any church I talk about, I was not the senior pastor. Um, but we are down at this, my church in Virginia, and my senior pastor set up uh, what was called a, we called it a prayer journey. And we had laid out 12 different prayer points in, the, in, the, in, our, in our atrium. This wasn't even for the whole church. This was just for our church staff. We had, we had about 25 members on staff, and we, we'd come up with 12 different prayer points. We prayed through the Lord's Prayer. We prayed through different things. And somebody came in and they saw it, and they said, that looks like a prayer labyrinth. Now, I have no idea what a prayer labyrinth is. Uh, but apparently it's a bad thing. It's a big deal. Uh, but that is not what it was. It was 12 intentional spots that we would stop and pause and pray for what God was doing in the church. And here's the lie. The staff is involved in New Age witchcraft. That's a big deal, isn't it? That's a big deal. to make. Mate, you better be backed up by something if you make that accusation against a pastoral staff flat-out lie, based in nothing. And it didn't matter what we said. Do you know what happened? We lost 500 people as a church because of the lies, the backbiting, just the people making stuff up. Now, I was on the pastoral staff, and as as your pastor, uh, I can guarantee you, there was nothing new age or cultish about it. We were praying the Lord's prayer. We're pausing and praying for God's presence. We're praying for that church. But see, a lie that somebody makes up, just how discouraging is that? That's what they were doing. They were trying to discourage Nehemiah by lying about him. This morning, maybe you've had that same experience. Somebody's just told a lie about you. You know it's not true. God knows it's not true. But we start worrying about what do other people think? What if other people in the region had thought Nehemiah was really trying to set up his own kingdom? His enemies would be just that much more motivated to tear him down. What if other people believe the lie about you? What does that do? Those are concerning things. What did Nehemiah do? They went on trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. But I prayed. Now strengthened my hands. He prayed. It, he didn't pray now strengthened my hands, it says, now strengthened my hands. The moment he prayed, strengthened his hands. We don't know what he prayed there. We just know that he prayed. When you're discouraged, when you're distracted, it's all trying to take your focus off, off of God. That's what was happening here. And then we see the third way. The third way that they, they tried to uh, attack Nehemiah. Starting in verse 10. It says, One day I went to the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deleah, and the son of Merherbal, who was shut in his, at his home. He said, Let us meet in the house of God inside the temple, and let us close the temple doors, because men are coming to kill you. By night they are coming to kill you. But I said, Should a man like me run away... Or should someone like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. So the, the gentleman that came to talk to Nehemiah was a prophet, a known prophet in the area. But when you do, uh, you look into the area. He was a known prophet that had been hired by Sanballat to come lie to Nehemiah. I realized that God had not sent him, but that he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sambalot had hired him. He had been hired to to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this. And then they would give me a bad name to discredit me. They want to distract. They want to discourage. They want to discredit you. They spread these rumors. Look how ineffective they are. If if they were really being spiritual, wouldn't you see more fruit in their life? If they were really following what God wanted for them to do, why are they having all these troubles? And people start telling these things to discredit others. They want to distract you from what God's doing. They want to discourage you from what's God doing what God is doing. And if they can't do that, then they're just going to drag your name through the mud. They're going to try and discredit you. Is that really a man of God? Is that really somebody who loves Jesus? If they really love Jesus, listen. Have you ever lost your temper? I live in New Jersey. I know the answer to that question. <laughs> We've all had moments like that that we haven't represented Christ to the best, right? And what do people do? They latch onto that. Well, you remember that one time? You did this. Yeah. They're going to try and discredit your position. Nehemiah recognized it. Nehemiah recognized it. So here's the question when the enemy attacks Does the opposition drive you to fight? or flight? How many of you remember health class, the, the two automated responses we got within our body? Fight or flight? Fight or flight? Are Are you going to dig in or are you going to run away? Are you going to dig in or run away? Which one are you going to do? Or are you going to go on the attack? There you go. That's the other option, right? Man, you fight fire with fire, right? No. Does it drive you to fight or flight? How many of us, we just want to run away from it? Running away is easy. Eventually, you're going to run out of someplace to run, though, right? Fighting seems like, well, that, that doesn't seem very good either, does it? Well, here's the problem is that really we're only, be, we're only given two responses here. We're given two options according to the health class. But the question is, when the enemy attacks, do you fight? Does it drive you to fight or flight? Or does it drive you to prayer? Where does it drive you? Does it drive you to fight, flight, prayer? The third option really is that 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 one there. Does it drive you to pray? Each time that we see Nehemiah faced with opposition or difficulty or problems or challenges, what does he do? He prays. How many times do I have I talked in the last 5 months about the importance of prayer. It's not just pretty words. This is how we move forward in what God has called us to do and who God has called us to be. We start in prayer. If we don't start in prayer, it's going to be our own ability. It's going to be our own desires. It's going to be our own efforts. And our own efforts will only get us so far. But when we run to the end of our rope, what do we need to do? We need to hit our knees and pray that God will go before us. That's the prayer we need to have. And when we're faced with opposition, as Nehemiah was faced with With opposition, we need to respond like Nehemiah did. We need to be driven to prayer first. But how often do we do it the other way around? Well, I've done everything I know what I should do. I've done everything I know to do. I probably should pray about it. Well, um, that's a little backwards. I've got to to tell you something real honest here, folks. Victory does not come through fighting. Victory does not come through fighting. Imagine what would have happened if Nehemiah had stopped at each attack. If every time Sambalat and Tobiah had come against him, If Nehemiah had stopped at each and every attack and turn and accusation, what would have happened? The work would have stopped. Man, maybe the opposition you're facing in life, maybe it's not a stop what you're doing. Maybe it's a turn to God. Maybe the challenges that you're facing, maybe you're feeling discouraged. Maybe you're feeling distracted. Maybe you feel that those are attacking you and trying to discredit who you are as a person, your character, your abilities. Maybe God has called you to a purpose, and you know the purpose God has called you to. But you just can't ever seem to get there. You just feel like there's a roadblock at each step of the way, and you don't know what to do. I'm telling you what to do. Stop. Fighting the things in front of you and start praying and allow God to fight for you. Amen. Victory doesn't come from fighting. Amen. We see in verse 15 it says, So the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul in 52 days. In 52 days. Here's here's my favorite part of the chapter. Verse 16. When all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence. Because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. Victory doesn't come from fighting. Victory comes through completing the work of God. Victory comes from completing that which God has placed in front of you to do. Victory comes when we do not become distracted or discouraged and we continue to press on to that which God has set before us. Victory comes when we allow God to do his work and we continue to do that which he has called us to do. That's how we find victory. The attacks aren't going to stop. That's what we see in Nehemiah. The attacks aren't going to stop. They're going to keep coming and coming and coming. And I'm, sad, I'm sorry to tell you, but there, there's no guarantee in this life that you're going to have it easy. There's no guarantee in this life that people aren't going to make up lies about you. There's no guarantee that everything's going to go your way. But there is the guarantee that God will go before you and that he is there to support you, strengthen you, and encourage you. So how do we move forward when the hits keep on coming? Well, here's, here's oh, this, this is the verse that God brought to me this morning. It's so powerful. It's in Luke Chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. You can turn there if you want. Starting in verse 51. Luke chapter 9, verse 51, it says, At the, As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And he sent his messengers on ahead who went into the Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John, said this, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then he and his disciples went to another village. Here's Here's the word I want you to hold on to this morning. Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem, Jesus resolutely. What does it mean to be resolute? I have I am decided, I am fixed, I am firm, I am not going to be swayed, I am not going to be layweight, I am not going to be stopped, I am not going to be discouraged. I understand where God has fixed my eyes, and that is where I am going. And what was Jesus doing? Why were Jesus' eyes fixed resolutely on Jerusalem? Here's why. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, he was fixed on Jerusalem because that was where he was being called to complete the work that God had set before him. The work that God has set before you, we must be resolutely focused and fixed on it because the the attacks are going to continue to come. They're going to continue to try and lie, discourage, discredit, distract, argue, fight. They're going to try and sway you off of what God has called you to do and who God has called you to be. And if we do not keep our eyes firmly fixed on Jesus, what's going to happen? We're going to stop. We're going to get distracted. We're going to stop moving forward. And here's what I'm here to tell you this morning is that God has a glorious call on your life. God has a purpose for you. And many of us have laid down that purpose for personal comfort. We have laid it down because we got tired of fighting. We got tired of having people tell us, that's not a good idea. We got tired of feeling like we weren't making any movement forward. And here is what I want you to know. The Lord is there in your prayer. The Lord is there to help you move forward. The attacks aren't going to stop. But when we keep our eyes fixed on what God is doing and who he has called us to be, then we'll be like Jesus. Heading towards a village that says, we don't want you to come. Did that stop Jesus from going to Jerusalem? No, they just went to another village. Listen, people don't always understand. And more often than not, they don't understand what God is doing deeply inside of you. Because we're, we're looking from the outside in. But you know what God's doing inside of you. You know who God has called you to be. You know the purpose that he set before you. Does that mean you won't experience setbacks? Does that mean you won't experience challenges? No. But God has a purpose for you. You need to be encouraged this morning. Those weights that you feel of discouragement, the weights that you feel of failure, That's not of God. What does God want from you? He wants you to come to him in prayer. What will God do for you? Well, what did we see in Nehemiah earlier? Our God will fight for us. Our God will fight for us. Have you not seen victory in your life? Have you not seen breakthrough in your life? Who's doing the fighting? You or God, if you're not seeing the victory and breakthrough that you think you should be seeing, maybe you're the one doing the fighting. Maybe you need to take a step back. Listen, these bumper stickers that said, God is my co pilot, listen, you're in the wrong seat, people. God is the pilot. Don't just put him in a secondary position. When we put God in the secondary position, this is is oftentimes what we do. God, this is what I've done. Now bless it. That's not being led by God. The entire book of James is written around one theme. Come to God first. Come to God first. Don't make him your co-pilot. This is why, listen, I'm gonna I'm gonna this was not the intent of the message, but here I'm gonna tell you right now. This is why we talk about giving regularly and systematically. Because if we give God our first fruits, then He knows He is first in our lives. If we give God our time first, then we are demonstrating that he is first in our lives. If we give him our very best, the principle of first fruits is this, God, I'm going to give you my best, not my leftovers. I'm going to give you, that's why I believe the week starts on Sunday, not on Monday, because God gets the beginning of my week, not the end of my week. God gets my best, not my leftovers. And here's what I know. If I come to God first, God's gonna go before me God's going to fight for me. I don't have to be the one that makes way. He will make a way where there seems to be no way. Right? Be encouraged this morning. The weight of this world are not yours to carry, they're yours to give to God. They're not yours, they're His. I, just, I always think of songs. I always think of songs when, I, when I'm preaching about the faithfulness of God, when I'm talking about the strength of God. You know, we turn our eyes on Jesus, we look full into his wonderful face, right? Yeah. We get so easily distracted. Imagine if Nehemiah had stopped. But when Nehemiah completed the work of God, what happened? what happened? His enemies were discouraged. They gave up. Why? Because they knew that God had done the work. It's not because they said, well, because Nehemiah is such a great tactician or such a great team builder or such a great worker or Nehemiah is such a great motivator. That's not what they said. He said they gave up. They were discouraged. They were, they were just, they were saddened because and fearful because who completed the work for Nehemiah? God completed the work for Nehemiah. Those that are arrayed against you, once they realize that they're not going to distract you by trying to attack you, they're going to move on to easier targets. When we keep our eyes resolutely fixed on what God has called us to do and who God has called us to be, we will not be stopped because God will go in front of us because he is the leader we should be following. He is the conductor of our life. He is the one that guides us, directs us, and makes a path clear for us if we give him the space. And so the encouragement I have for you this morning Those weights you're carrying, you don't have to carry them. Those burdens you're feeling, is it going to take everything away? No, you're still human. You're still going to feel. But we don't have to be discouraged and distracted. We don't have to be stopped. We can be encouraged to know that God will bring it to completion. What did I say earlier? What's a vision? that comes from God. It's an unseen reality. The purpose God has for your life, if we give him the space that he needs, will come to pass. If you give him that space. That's my encouragement for you this morning. Stand with me. Stand with me.